What's up, everybody? You're listening to Neurodivergently Coaching, where neurodivergence meets coaching. Meets life and the world of work. I'm Terry. I'm Deborah. We're your co-hosts. We are two coaches with diverse identities who are joining forces to share our experiences within and about neurodivergence and coaching. So get ready to explore, learn, and grow with us. Neurodivergently Coaching starts now. (laughs) Today, we get real about intersectionality, the identities that walk in the room with us and those that don't, and how they all intersect or even sometimes collide. And what does it all mean to each of us and to you, the listener? And related to that, we wanted to circle back to our last episode about unmasking. We've had some conversation about unmasking and how we edit this podcast. And through our own discernment on how we unmask our communication styles, we have decided to seek your input, dear listeners. So for this podcast, We will be further unmasking by giving you a minimally edited version. And it's our hope that we, you will give us our feedback, some feedback, and we'll tell you how to do that in the show notes. And this is so inextricably linked to our own intersectional identities that today we enter the perfect storm of intersectionality and its relationship to masking and more. Yes, this perfect storm, I love that, Deb, lends itself to a different format than what we've been following. So today we're gonna take that deep dive into intersectionality through our lived experiences and tie it altogether to how it relates to neurodivergently coaching. So today we'll be defining, starting by defining intersectionality, if there is a possible, if it is possible to define intersectionality. And from my research, it's Kimberly Crenshaw that started to talk about this. And really what she was talking about is aspects of our own identity, those that are visible and those that are not, and how those aspects of our identity um, intersect with relationship to power. And so all of that to say that some aspects of our identity give us power and privilege and others do not. And I've been kind of looking at this from a lot of different angles in my research on inclusion and leadership for the last five years or so. So I wanted to start by talking about the identities that inform my own perspective. And so I'll start by what what walks in the room with me. So I'm a cisgender female and the pronouns that I use are she, her, hers. I am white, I am Canadian born. 
And I want to say that these three factors alone make me perhaps part of the second most powerful identity group in the world. And what does that allow me to do? What does that privilege allow me to do? It allows me to advocate for myself and my children. And sometimes in life or death situations, in hospitals, with doctors, schools, in government uh, settings, I know because of those identities that what I say will be taken seriously. And the other privilege that it gives me is that I can pass or choose not to identify any other aspects of my own identity, depending on whether it is to my advantage. So the awareness of this and how I use it or choose not to use it it's important. And this is where Terry and I have such really different experiences of life. And where the discussion arose about unmasking. So the reality is, is that the natural cadence of my voice is slow and measured. This is the pace at which my brain works thinking deeply and working my way around webs of patterns and connections. Sometimes, more often than not, actually it causes me to speak slowly. I have long pauses and sometimes even filler words. And I have a long career as an educator, a speaker and a facilitator, and now as a podcaster. And I know that I speak differently and for the most part, have experienced acceptance for the slow and measured cadence of my speech. And so my debate, our debate, this rich dialogue has been around how much of the natural cadence of my speak we should be editing for this podcast. And this is where it gets interesting and rich and complicated is that it relates uh, it comes kind of into the intersection of Terry's Terry's identity and her neurodivergent identity and experience, which of course is quite different than mine. Yes. Well, when you told me, Deb, Ra, <laughs> of your thoughts of unmasking your identity with no or little to no editing, editing out the, um, so, you know, the filler words and pauses because of your thinking deeply and untangling your thoughts. It made me, it gave me a feeling, a sense of ease, like a weight was lifted for you. And then the thought or thoughts came up where the word privilege and it's how it is a privilege to be able to do that. So we thought we would bring that to the table, this quick conversation of, yeah, how our identities intersect. So my thoughts are unorganized and I forget. I'm pretty forgetful because of my executive functioning 
and I use filler words. My favorites seem to be so, <laughs> and you know what I mean. The way my identity group works, it is that I am more judged more harshly. I am stereotyped, and this stereotype threat applies pressure for me to conform. I have to work harder by masking to be equal to Deborah. It's been my dream to become a podcaster. I have to push past the knowledge of these oppressive systems, the voices that will directly or indirectly judge how articulate how articulate I am, <laughs> or if I mispronounce a word and all of the judgments that's constantly coming my way and the pressure. That's how our identities intersect and come into the conversation. But there'll be more about me, but please, Deborah, continue. That's such a rich part of this dialogue, isn't it? And And yet we've only just begun to talk about our intersectional identities that was just the identities that walk in the room with me that give me privilege so a couple more things that walk in the room with me uh, so i'm five foot two and i'm a little bit curvilicious and i will tell you that it has been a blessed relief in a virtual world of work to not have this part of my identity walk in the room with me it has been an incredible equalizer for me in terms of parts of my identity that um, have not uh, hmm, not given me privilege in the corporate world. So a few more things that don't walk in the room with me. So I am late diagnosed and by late diagnosed, I mean very, very, very recently. I am ADHD. And that's uh, autistic with a side order of uh, ADHD. Uh, I'm twice exceptional or gifted, um, depending on whose definition you're going by, but let's go with that. Some more things that I haven't talked about yet that are part of my identity. So I am a survivor of a long-term abusive first heterosexual marriage. And again, something I haven't talked about because it's not a particularly active part of my identity in this moment. I am a member of the LGBTQ community. And, you know, so I'm bisexual and I believe strongly, like my belief system in terms of being part of a member of that community is that sexuality can be fluid over a person's lifetime or that we can live into different parts of our sexuality over a lifetime. So presently I'm living in a healthy and happy monogamous heterosexual second marriage. I am a parent and advocate within for a young adult who is neurodivergent and who has other non-visible disabilities. I am also a step parent to uh, two young men I am Eastern European heritage. My faith of origin, I have talked about this as Jewish, and as an adult, I chose the faith, Unitarian Universalist, leaning more towards Universalist. And although I'm so proud 
that my faith is a faith that has a is is steeped in social justice i can tell you that overwhelmingly my faith is white and university educated and then the one of the final pieces is my education so i did not finish high school as a young a young person but i am now second generation university educated with a graduate degree that's a master's degree in education and three years of doctoral candidacy that's a hard word um and I want to say that there's a significant amount of privilege that went into allowing or enabling that in adulthood. So those are some some pieces of me, Terry. All of you know, all of which give me richness, and some of which give me privilege, and some of which don't. Yes. And I do want to pull a thread of how you were mentioning how you were part of the second most powerful identity group. And as we are talking about power and privilege, what's coming up for me is why, how? And I think we would be doing a disservice to not, even, to not mention white supremacy culture. And I have to do my white supremacy culture disclaimer. White supremacy culture is not the shark. White supremacy culture is the water that we all swim in. And some of us are swimming within this water with a ball and chain around our ankles, working extremely hard to stay afloat. And some of us are doing the backstroke <laughs> still with disadvantage, uh, you know, because the water, the, the flow is strong. <laughs> so we're, we're all working hard for something. So when we talk about privilege, it is definitely unearned. And when I talk about being judged and stereotyped, I'm not just speaking about white people or people yeah, and I'm not just speaking of white people, I'm speaking about everyone, people of color, friends, family, strangers, it doesn't matter. It is the water we swim in. And this is the reality of our life, our world. So yeah, thank you, Deborah, for <laughs> talking about your identity. So I guess I'll talk about mine, I'll go into my power and my disadvantages, my privilege and my disadvantages. For those of you that don't know, I'm a Black Jamaican American woman who identifies as ADHD and dyslexic. I did not attend college. I went to a makeup trade school to learn film and television makeup artistry. I currently am in a happy monogamous marriage with the man of my dreams. He's Irish German descendant. I am also a cisgendered woman and I am very aware of people's perception of me that changes when I, when they learn of my husband's identity. I am a Canadian immigrant 
dog mom, homeowner, car owner, not overweight, not skinny. I I would like to pull a thread from also Deb's definition. As I speak, I am visualizing an intersectionality wheel. At last count, it has 36 different identities and hundreds of intersecting identities. It provides a visual representation and language to lived experiences and coaches. Please, please, if you have a chance to check one out for more understanding on where you stand within society. It's important to know because everyone consciously and unconsciously measures power and privilege, whether it is at home, work, and of course, race, ethnicity, gender, gender, etc. With all of my identities stated earlier, I am more marginalized within society, which means often forgotten about or excluded really because of my primary identities of my race and gender, also known as the identities that walk into the room before me, <laughs> that automatically puts me in the marginalized box, regardless of my privilege and whether, and even though people of color are the global majority. I believe the leader of my second identity group is my neurodivergent identity. She sneaks into the room behind me without anyone noticing, but is always present. And you can only see her when you know she's there and understand how she shows up. As I understand intersectionality, it is a concept that explains how different aspects of a person's identity can lead to multiple forms of oppression. It helps us understand that identities work together to create unique experiences and opportunities, also barriers for each individual. It is important for me as a coach and human being to recognize and address these disadvantages within intersectionality because oppression cannot be reduced to just one person's identity. Instead, each form of oppression is dependent on and shapes the other. So by acknowledging and addressing these disadvantages, we can fight against the complex prejudice that people face every day. So for me, I know that my identity as a neurodivergent, dark-skinned Black woman, I am experiencing much higher levels of stress. As I move through the world, I carry a compounding weight on my shoulders. It is something, it is sometimes allies like Deb and my hubby <laughs> that can create ease of the weight, but I have to kind of be in their presence or under their umbrella of privilege. Many equity deserving groups, however, are forced to assimilate. 
mask their true selves or code switch to fit into the dominant culture. This is often done for survival and to succeed in various settings like the workplace or communities or even within our families. Unfortunately, this pressure to conform can be so ingrained that it becomes unconscious. And we may feel that it's, it's what we should do to be successful, despite working harder than our counterparts. We will be overlooked, excluded due to systemic bias and discrimination. Wow. Yeah. And um, I think before we move into what is intersectionality and coaching, I want to pull a couple of concepts forward that um, I want to say maybe are new concepts for some folks and maybe advanced concepts in DEI. And so there's two things that I want to say is um, global majority. Such an interesting, um, it's probably a phrase that not a lot of folks have heard before. So Terry, if I understand correctly what you're referring to. So in my lifetime, we might have called a person of color a minority um, or a member of a minority group or something like that. In actual fact, people of color globally are the majority of human beings. And so there's a, um, I want to say a whole bunch of politics behind that phrase, right? Like it represents a lot. So global majority means that the majority of people globally are people of color. Yeah. I, I don't know if you wanted to just tease that out anymore, but I wanted to bring that forward because I want to say that that's, for me, a fairly recent, it may have been my understanding in a vague sense, but only recently has that term um, really uh, been made apparent for me. So I didn't know if you wanted to pull any more strings on that one. Yeah, I would love to. I, I, per, I cannot stand the term minorities because, I mean, that makes us small. And I, and you know, Deb, you've said so many time languages emergent and subjective and always evolving. And also language words are powerful. Yeah. And what I say is, I say global majority. I don't use the word minorities because it's not true. What may be in certain countries, we might be the minority, possibly. <laughs> But I like to use empowering language if I can. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I find out <laughs> or hear or learn of that, I, I usually lean that way. Thank you. 
Thank you. And I think the very first time I heard Umbrella of Privilege was from you. Mm-hmm. And um, I immediately knew what you were talking about. And, and I think, you know, in some ways it comes, I've been thinking a lot about it. And why I've been thinking a lot about it is because as a, as a white woman, sometimes all I can do is amplify voices, help to amplify voices. And I'm just wondering when you talk about using the positive, is there a negative or positive connotation to umbrella of privilege? And how, like what, if, if I'm, if I'm trying to do what I can, and part of that is amplifying voices, I just, I want to understand the relationship between that and a term like umbrella of privilege. Yeah. Well, I, I think I made that up since I have been moving through this world with my very handsome, wonderful husband. <laughs> As you could tell, we're in a very happy marriage. Um, sometimes, Deborah, he doesn't have to do a thing. You almost don't have to do a thing, but show up and stand next to. I can give an example of what I mean being somewhere like Home Depot, where I'm being ignored, you know, uh, treated rudely, uh, not answered or answered, yeah, not nicely and judged. And then my husband comes up and he's like, did you get the paintbrush and the the lady's like, oh, let me get that for you. Oh, let me go do it. All of a sudden it's different. Oh, you're with him. Oh, okay. You're okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that is the umbrella that I often stand under. And I am very aware of when I move through the world without that it is, there's more challenge there. I went to the store once and I have another example of me going to the store and buying a mop because we had put in new floors in our home. And this gentleman was just very nice gentleman. I live in a predominantly white neighborhood and he were talking about the mop. Uh, And then he asked me if I was a housekeeper. And then I was just kind of taken back like, okay, like why would you ask me that question? And I'm looking around and not trying to make assumptions. And then I said, no, 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 I'm not a housekeeper. This is for my home. Oh, do you rent in the neighborhood? It was the next question. And I'm just, it just, those are microaggressions. Ah, what do you think of me? Not that there's nothing wrong with renting. There's nothing wrong with being a domestic house worker. It's just, stereotypes, you know, mm-hmm. assumptions, and it can be, it can be harmful when it's just key, it just keeps coming and it's just a perception. But 
standing next to my husband that gives me a different level of privilege. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Some interesting things to think about there. So I guess the thing that comes up here is, you know, understanding our places, understanding our own identities. is such a, it's such a massive part of being able to coach in this space. And so I'm wondering maybe what your thoughts are regarding intersectionality and coaching. Yes, I have a lot of big thoughts. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, I wish I want all coaches (laughs) to think about this. (laughs) Anyway, I guess I'll start with, I don't know what oppression is or the forms of it oppression is a form of power and control so i'm very familiar with the presence and the feeling of oppression and when i listen and support my clients and that feeling is is sensed with whatever it is that they're telling me I'm able to identify it and try to dismantle it in an empowering way. So I always have my eye on intersectionality. I also acknowledge my own power and privilege in coaching, as well as recognizing how coaching holds a leadership position. My coaching is offered through an anti-oppressive lens. And it is a safe place for individuals with diverse backgrounds to self-actualize their own identities. I look at all the parts of humans, their privilege, their disadvantages, and see the whole picture. And I'm committed to acknowledging the intersectionality of different identities openly and the nuances, challenges that clients may bring to the coaching session. I believe not talking about race and discrimination and disparities is a tool of white supremacy culture and a problem. It's it include it's including like just the whole colorblind culture is a problem that I am constantly discussing because you're saying that you don't see my color and it makes me wonder what is wrong with my color? Why can't you see it? Why why do you want to ignore it? And it, it, it makes, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my identity. There is, there's this saying, they say, oh, we're part of the human race. It just annoys me because the human race doesn't exist. Human beings, we're all human beings. We are different races and that is okay. So to acknowledge that because people of color don't get to forget it. So why are you forgetting it? You know, or why are some coaches forgetting it? So I hope coaches can prioritize more humility and partnership and a genuine commitment to addressing the challenges of individual journeys, their journeys in their and the coaching relationship. 
Yeah, that's so much so interesting about who you are as a coach and how you coach, right? Because in this podcast, when we're talking about, you know, we made up a word neurodivergently, right? Neurodivergency, di- blah, blah. neurodivergently is a lens through which we coach. It's about how we coach and who we coach and who we are as coaches. And so all of those things are present in the conversations that you are talking about. So this is some about my experience as a person who is neurodivergent and who is a coach and who is um, recently or late diagnosed, working with leaders who are either diagnosed or undiagnosed, either disclosed or undisclosed with their employers and whose coaching agenda might directly relate or indirectly relate to neurodivergence. So where it comes to intersectionality, neurodivergence is only just one identity that often does not walk into the room with the coaching client. And for that matter, it may not always walk in the room with the coach. And that makes us curious about what identities are in the room for the client, for us as the coach, and what other identities are in the system. So for me, critically important is the grounding of the coaching relationship and creating not just a safe space, but a courageous space to begin to unfold these conversations. And particularly where you have folks who are coming to the coaching conversation who might be somewhere in the neurodivergent universe and it may or may not it it certainly always is their choice to identify or to disclose or even to seek diagnosis But I think the thing is that's so critically important, and this comes to another piece that we were talking about sort of offline, Terry, is that we're not here to diagnose. It's, it's It's not an important piece of the work that we're doing here as coaches. Um, so the critical piece here is that I personally have done some work. I know my own identity, I know what my personal biases might be, and I also know how to work with them. And then and only then can I hold space for neurodivergently coaching. So the idea of coming back to creating a courageous space, I am still walking in with a privileged identity. Right. So for me, it comes down to in co-creating this, the initial space for coaching to be so the container, so to speak, it comes down to for me a level of disclosure about the identities that don't enter the room, specifically my neurodivergence. And in co-creating the coaching relationship, often my disclosure elicits disclosure and comfort from the client. And in equal measure, it lays the groundwork for further disclosure and curiosity and conversation about how we show up neurologically or neurodevelopmentally 
uh, in life and at work. So at a minimum, this setting the stage brings the discussion about our intersectional dimensions to the forefront so that I can do what I do best as a, co a coach. And those are my, you know, the two values that, that are the centerpiece of my work is illuminate and accompany. I love what you said. I loved everything. <laughs> um, the part about, well, okay. There's two parts. There's a neurodivergently. We made up that word. The part that we made up was the L-Y. Neurodivergent is a word. <laughs> it is an identity. I had someone ask me that. So why'd you make up this word? It's like, no, we didn't make up the whole word. <laughs> the L-Y. <laughs> we put the Lee on it. It's an adjective now. <laughs> we made it an adjective. <laughs> That's yep. what we did. <laughs> It describes a coaching <laughs> or oh, how we coach, who we coach. <laughs> Thank so, you. I love that yeah. you talk to our listeners. You're getting that direct feedback. That's amazing. They're my family. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you have listeners that are family. Yeah, I'll post this episode on Facebook too. <laughs> but, and then the part about identifying, you know, what's in the room as a coach. And, and there's so much that walks in the room, whether the coachee knows it or not, whether we don't know if, you know, or if we even know that neurodivergence is a part of our identity, because you don't know if you're looking through the lens, a certain lens, you don't know that that lens is different. It's just how you see the world. And if your family's moving through that same lens as well, it's it, it seems like it's just a part of how you operate. So yeah, and I just want to also bring up there's oh, different forms of identities and circumstances and experiences right like trauma or generational trauma that might be in the room as well mm -hmm. and neurodivergence might be in the room but we just don't know and that's why coaching with that neurodivergent lee lens and having that lens can be very beneficial in supporting our clients and that's what's coming up for me yeah yeah there's so much more, I think, on intersectionality and identity and all the things that we've talked about until this point. And I think that those, these conversations will continue to unfold. And we wanted to get some foundational pieces out there and our thoughts and you know really this is kind of how we got here right as we were having these conversations and then one day we 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 neurodivergent people said hey let's do a podcast okay let's do it <laughs> you want a job sure i'll take another job <laughs> so all of that to say that you know the the path that we're following is is creating conversation uh, creating courageous conversation and 
starting to really weave it more at the forefront of where does neurodivergence come into coaching for we as coaches, for our own identities and for the identities of our clients? And how do we, how do we do this in a neurodivergently coaching way? How do we create that for ourselves? And how do we create that for the community that we're creating? And Terry, just as we're kind of starting to wind down here, one thing that I do want to mention is um, that if folks are joining our community, uh, we are very soon going to be starting up a coaching supervision group called Systems We Swim In. And um, it's, it's going to be focusing on neurodivergence in coaching, but it will also be a supervision uh, place. And I say supervision, and what am I talking about for our North American friends who are not so familiar with coaching supervision? And I want to say, just as we're winding down the episode, that really I'm talking about creating a reflective space for the human beings that are coaches. Um, different from mentor coaching. Mentor coaching is about that thing that we've already talked about is competencies. And, uh, but supervision is a place for coaches to come and reflect on their own identities, um, to come and be restorative, to uh, work through cases that they're um, interested in working through, um, to talk about ethics. So there's some really um, interesting work to be had there and we're calling it systems we swim in, right? So I'm, I'm excited about that. That's probably our next thing that's coming up and we'll be releasing that in the community soon. So be sure and join the community at neurodivergentlycoaching.com. We have some closing thoughts as well. Yes. Well, you know, Deb, you kind of started this <laughs> with uh, who do you want to be? And then I said, I want to be someone. <laughs> I, I want to be your guide on this activist journey, a voice unyielding to fear and control. My vision is to be the hope for our future breaking generational cycles, healing isn't concealment. It's the power to share openly. Through my joys and challenges, I foster community, raise awareness and break silence. I speak up to inspire, inspire reflection and growth and connection in those who resonate with my story. What about you? I love that. I love that. So, you know, overall, my role here, I'm a provocateur. I hope to invoke conversations that need to be had. I am an articulate truth teller. That is, I am a teller of stories that need to be told. And I am an outsider who has taken many years to understand that I belong and that my voice is necessary in this dialogue. 
So teaser for next episode. We're going to be discussing neurodiversity in coaching. I was I was getting a lot of questions from all of the listeners. AKA <laughs> <laughs> hey, Terry's family. clarity clarity around what neurodiversity is neurodivergence and really the ethical place coaches stand with this work do you want to elaborate more on that deborah yeah and it's something that i um kind of alluded to earlier in in this podcast which is that coaching has a particular role where it comes to neurodivergence Um, and it can sometimes be a very thin edge. So I think what we want to do is, is start to, uh, unpack that and talk about what is the place of coaching for neurodivergent clients? What is the place for would be coaches who might be neurodivergent? So we're really gonna start to climb down the rabbit hole of bringing these two ideas together now that we've laid some foundational pieces Um, and now that we are getting some questions and that's exactly what we want that's that's my role provocateur articulate truth teller and outsider who belongs Um, we're gonna we're gonna take you there we're gonna take you to um little bit inside of uh, our coaching, who we are as folks. And uh, maybe I'll unfold a little bit more about my research. I think that might be helpful here as well. So uh, we'll look forward to uh, having you join us on this journey. Yes. And I do want to also mention it's not only just my family, my big Jamaican <laughs> family listening. True. We're True. in 13 countries. We're the top 25 percentile for podcasts already. And I just want to shout out to Norway. We see you, Sweden. Where else, Deb? Oh, my goodness. Where else? Um, the UK. The UK. I remember. Canada is showing up and of course the US, but it's so nice to see all of the listeners and listen, join the community, follow us on LinkedIn, like reach out to us, find us and ask us questions and we'll bring your question up here as well. I see Deborah's looking for the all the places at germany i remember germany was there here we go canada us australia norway dominica oh sweden uruguay germany united kingdom philippines and portugal we love you we love you love you love you and we cannot wait to hear from you personally Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And keep listening to Neurodivergently Coaching. (laughs) Before we go, we have to give the quick reminder. We are coaches with real lived experience. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Terry. Absolutely. With that in mind, we want you to understand that the content in this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice, uh, for diagnosis or for treatment. And we would never want you to disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it based on anything that you've heard here. Thanks for joining us on this neurodivergent journey. And don't forget, like Deb just said, subscribe, like, and please share. And if you are a coach, connect with us at neurodivergently.com, the online community. That's neurodivergentlycoaching.com. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> and of course, we're on LinkedIn. Please follow us. So until next time, keep coaching neurodivergently.